Welcome to the first episode of Vista Mall 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian whose words tend to form an unpronounceable Russian verb, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who always asks to blot a guy's big canvas, David Bindley. Yes, I do. And it stands to reason at this point, we are recording this fairly early, but it stands to reason this may be our only mole historians for 2023. Maybe. Maybe is the operative word. We haven't decided what else is happening next year, apart from Amazing Race Australia, obviously. But um, this may very well be the only mole historians of 2023, depending on our decision for the final one of the year. So enjoy it or else. And you better enjoy this season because it's a pain in the ass to find. Let's be perfectly honest. This is the most difficult season we've we've covered on mole historians yet. In fact, Bindles had to send us all the files for this one. So strap in. And the first question of the season is, why did we make the effort to do this season? Why did we do this rather than do Sri Lanka or Dominican Republic or any of the other ones that are subbed and actually available on YouTube still? Because this one is a good one. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I like the build-up and it's a five-word answer. Good explanation, guys. Could you elaborate on this further? <laughs> This one is everything you want in a mole season, I think is the best way to describe it. It has ice cream? It has ice cream. It's Peter Yan at his most Peter Yan. The cast is almost all amazing people. There is no Tico in this cast. And you get the introduction to art before he takes over the next season. I assume we're going to be talking about art a lot throughout this season. Yeah. Because I was picking up on, even in this first episode, just how on top of everything art was in the premiere. In terms of strategy and figuring out how to approach the quiz and the way he related to the other contestants. You can see how, how sharp art is already from the, from episode one. We roll our eyes a lot at people on Survivor who go, oh, I'm a student of the game. But art is really a student of the mole. There's no better way to put it. Art is very, very good and very, very well-versed in everything to do with the mole. Art is the Viz de Mole version of Rob Sestonino, except he's not quite as bad towards fandom. Or, how do I put it? He hasn't had quite as bad an effect on the show. <laughs> yeah. He hasn't been completely show-ruining. Yeah. And the usual bit of housekeeping... This season, as with Oregon and Hong Kong Philippines, Logan hasn't seen, so he doesn't know who the mole is, and therefore we won't be talking about what the mole did at the end of the episodes. We'll be doing that at the end of the season. It is also an 11-episode season rather than a 10, so you get 10 whole episodes of us, and the last one will be the finale and reunion merged together. Michael and I have both seen the season before, but we don't care about what the mole did. Yeah, pretty much. We're, we're not here for the mole, we're here for Logan to be wrong about the mole. And that's that's basically why we do the Mole Historians podcast, is just to, to see whether Logan can redeem his uh, his reputation. Well, he didn't in Philippines. The one thing I do want to point out right at the start of this episode is when you sent over those files, um, I rewatched the first minute of the premiere, and I got goosebumps. And there's only been one other season that has given me goosebumps in the opening minute. And that is Belgian Moles Argentina season. I get goosebumps every time I watch that intro to uh, to Belgium Argentina. There's something really special about the intro to this season, and I think it is mainly because pretty much the first words out of Ian's mouth were 
oh yeah, we're taking people to a war zone this year. New decade, I'm all bitches. <laughs> yeah, he really he really emphasized it being a new decade. But in your guys' opinion, did this usher in any sort of new era for Vidim? It's not as much of a change over season as Hong Kong Philippines is. Obviously, you have the big change after this season in Art becoming the host and him being a very long-running host. But in terms of like introducing twists and stuff, it's business as usual up until probably Hong Kong Philippines. This is sort of the season where you start to get the more like board gamey sort of challenges compared to like the big action adventure sort of stuff. But even then, they do a really good job with El Salvador and Nicaragua, probably more so El Salvador. Yeah, and these are two locations that obviously have never been used in any other version and never will be used in any other version. And it's really, really fun when the mole of any creed and colour goes to a location that is essentially impossible to go to. I mean, Pete Yan says it's a literal war zone. Minus the Bitcoin. Yeah, there's no Bitcoin up to this point, but obviously about 10 years after this season filmed, there will have been. But uh, yeah, the fact that he introduces it as a war zone really gave me a laugh to begin the season. What a dark sense of humour. <laughs> no, no it's, it's, it's just usually when you get the host introducing it to a location, like going back to art with Hong Kong Philippines, you go, oh, Hong Kong, such an iconic city. It's a city of, um, of both nature and built-up buildings and all that sort of stuff. And Pete Yan just cuts through the bullshit and goes, yeah, El Salvador, beautiful country, bit of a war zone, though. Be careful, guys. I spoke to a friend of mine during the week who's from El Salvador. And I'm like, hey, is there any, you know, anything I should say, you know, just to see how like accurate a presentation of El Salvador this is? He basically said, yeah, it's a war zone. We're doing our best. But by God, we're going to force feed you. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's such an unexpected location. It really, it really is a delight that they went to El Salvador and Nicaragua because, spoiling sort of the midpoint of the season, when they go to Nicaragua, it's pretty much people trafficking. Prepare your people trafficking jokes for that episode because it's essentially, we're stuffing you onto a boat. We're not going to tell you where you're going, but it's a new country, guys. Welcome to Nauru. <laughs> yeah. There is lots of weightlifting and uh, empty phosphate deposits. <laughs> and of course, this being a season that appears around the 2010s, there is a shout out for Fritz sitting again, because we do see an advert for the search for Zorro. As we've discussed, they went through a massive run of about seven or eight years of doing talent shows where they were searching for the leads of, uh, of new musicals, and 2011's one was Zorro. And we begin with Peter Yan introducing the show as always, and he says that assignments fail for two reasons, a candidate messing up, or the mole sabotaging correctly. And the new decade of mole begins in El Salvador, a literal war zone that you forget is such a beautiful country. The episode title is Showing Your True Colours. Each candidate is waiting for a big yellow bus to pick them up and take them to their first meeting point. They have an envelope with more instructions that they can open once they board the bus. Pepine is the first person we see, he says he was standing in the street with his luggage, and then it's like you're inside a movie with no knowledge of what's coming. The envelope contains five questions, two of which are what the name of the goat on the bus is, which is Tintin, and what flag is on the rearview mirrors, which is the American flag. I was surprised how few of the contestants could speak Spanish. I always thought of the Dutch people as being very multilingual, so I just presumed a lot of them would be able to speak Spanish. The Netherlands also has a... Uh 
very interesting history with the people of Spain, by which I mean they killed and ate their king. Eight? Yes. Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and we're complaining about about El Salvador being a war zone. We just talked about the Netherlands eating the Spanish king. It brings a whole new meaning to going Dutch. I guess El Salvador really will force feed you. The Spanish thing is very interesting because there are only two or three people in the cast who speak passable Spanish. Art is pretty much fluent. And you do see that during the season, that Art has a massive advantage in a lot of these challenges because he speaks Spanish. Spephine puts his bag down and the goat pisses on him, and he accuses it of being the mole. And he worries that the questions seem too easy, there must be a catch to the challenge. The catch is three minutes into the season and you're already getting covered in goat piss. I mean, Gilles Costa will be jealous. The goat piss challenge just hasn't happened yet, unless it happened on Belkia this year. We, yet again, don't know. It's one of the many traditions along with the laser game. Yeah. In the new decade of Belgian Mole, Gilles has moved on from using paint bombs and now just uses goat piss bombs. So the second person to board the bus is Art, and it's really strange that we haven't heard anything from him since. The other questions are how many chickens there are on the bus, the nationality of the person who is sitting by the window on the fourth row, and what the maximum speed of the bus is when 80 people are on board. Anna is third, she's an actress, and we see her saying that she wants to blot a guy's big canvas, and she's quite loud and likes to take charge, whether people want to give it her or not. She thinks the mole should be good at being honest, but the honesty must be a lie. Anna pulls off the rare double feat of not being able to speak Spanish nor English all that well. Now, Anna is one of the people in this season who I don't exactly remember her that much. She didn't leave that much of a lasting impression on me compared to other people in this cast. No. I think there's probably one other person in this cast who's more of a non-entity than Anna, but Anna is definitely the, like the second worst. Which is weird, because she's easily one of the biggest names in here. Yeah, and also, full disclosure, I am going to keep taking the piss out of her for saying that she always wants to be in charge. Because it is very much the sort of quote that is going to come back to bite her. In the same way as Eric stimulating people. I like how she says, how much speed does this bus go? Kinsey? Oh, okay, thank you. Good. That's 50. Yeah. She would be getting pulled over by a policeman. Oh, I was doing the speed limit. I was doing Kinsey. (laughs) That's what the the person told me. And from Anna to someone who is actually interesting, in Karen. I love Karen. I know you do. She makes TV programs for the KRO, one of which is about near-death experiences. She says she's fairly neurotic and brooding. She speaks no Spanish and asks what the heck kind of nonsense this challenge is. So basically, Spanish, French, German, Dutch, it's all Greek to Karen. She tries to use French, but excuses herself in Dutch. Yeah. There's something quite delightfully mean about chucking them straight into a situation like this, where it's an incredibly crowded bus, none of them really speak English, and they all then have to try and communicate with people in Spanish, which most of them don't speak. And they're not even on the bus for that long, because I was looking at the map of where they did it. It's basically a lap of one block, and then that's it. Yeah, because they're not allowed to even be around each other until they actually meet up at the meeting point, wherever that is. Yeah, so so basically the, the bus does a lap of one block with the person on it, then they get off, then it does another lap, and then picks up the next person. 
And the fifth person is Sundos, who is also an icon. She says it's like the Twilight Zone, as the show that she watches on TV is now her real life. And she decides to explore the bus a little bit more, which, you know, good tactics, Sundos. Maybe you'll see something you shouldn't. Yan is next. People know him from a soap, and so you think he can dance. And he is told that the goat's name is Goat. <laughs> Obviously, the locals think that it's a very stupid Dutch person who doesn't know what a goat is. <laughs> it's a goat. Uh, you don't have these in the Netherlands? Huh. Jeez. It bleats me. <laughs> Then the seventh person is Hannah, who's a journalist and columnist. She's a perfectionist. She says she likes winning, but she's also a very clumsy person. She didn't even fall down on the bus. I know. Logan Saunders is just looking for journalists falling over on buses. Fall into the basket of chickens. I will say Hannah has probably the weirdest claim to fame out of, out of anyone in this season. We've, we've got some really weird like career things this season we've got the dutch voice of wally we've got the writer of lee harvey oswald the musical we've got the host of the dutch version of outback jack we've got uh someone who later became a producer on this show and who isn't art but hannah won the dutch version of the nobel prize for literature what i know also Arf is 38 (laughs) (laughs) we're not doing that shit again (laughs) So the next person is Patrick, who I think is the guy who did Lee Harvey Oswald the musical, is he not? Yes. He's like, oh man, that musical did so well, what do I do next? Uh, let's do the John Wilkes Booth musical. Yeah, he needs venom, like uh, people need a hole in the head. Miliana is next. She says the nationality question was easy because everyone on the bus was uh, from El Salvador. And I have to say... I remembered what the hint in this challenge was, but there is a really, really nasty mole hint in this challenge. You get the first glimpse of it with Miriana, because I don't know how well it's been explained to you, Logan, but the mole was on the bus for everyone, apart from themselves, obviously. I assume the mole was the person sitting beside the window seat? Yeah, the mole, when Miriana is saying that the nationality question's easy, and saying everyone on the bus is Salvadorian, which they're not, um, you can see someone in a terrible wig right in front of the camera, and that is the mole. Mm. I mean, presumably, as they've done before, if the mole is the person on the bus, then someone else will be in the wig, one of the uh, one of the crew members or something, but the mole is on the bus for every single ride, and in a terrible wig. God, they must have been so bored by the end of it. Oh god, yeah. And I do believe that they use it for the reveal in episode 11 as well. Yes, they do. They show them all taking the wig off. That's how I remember it. And the final person we're introduced to is someone we've never seen before and never seen again. It's Horace, who's an actor and roast comedian. And he says the challenge went very smoothly. And they all reunite and hear Peter Yan speeding in in a truck. And he definitely asked for that, given it's his final season. He barely got it there. From memory, it's also how he turned up in his first season. (laughs) been a while since i've seen mexico but it's, it's a little bit of a bookend yeah so it's more of a callback than maybe we would realize i'm surprised they didn't have to help him push it up the driveway i just love how extra peter yan is like he doesn't do anything by halves when he's reacting to people he just shits on them we see it a lot in the path of temptation challenge at the end of this episode he just doesn't really care about these people and he's just having fun being a dick 
Especially when, yeah, when he, uh, when he asks for the passports. Passports and waits for everyone to reach down and take their passport out. And he says, no, no, actually, put, put, put it back where you got them. You, you might need them if you make it to episode five. Fuck you, we're going to another war zone. He's so delightfully unnecessarily mean to people. <laughs> Whenever he gets the opportunity to just be a bit of a dick, he takes it every time. So Horace says that you expect your first meeting with Peter Yan to be all fun and shaking hands, but not in this case. He tells them that the Mole is amongst the ten of them, and the Mole needs one of you to help him. The Mole will contact them at the appropriate time. And as I think Bindles has mentioned before, the appropriate time is not for a while. No, it, it happens so late in the season that I completely forgot this twist exists. I think you mentioned it in Hong Kong Philippines in that it's technically a season-long twist, but it really isn't because it's it's like episode eight or nine that this comes back, I think. Yeah, and they, they don't mention it at all until then. And we also get Sundos comparing Peter Yan to Santa Claus. Maybe like the weird robot Santa from Futurama. <laughs> He's like bad Santa. So they are then asked the five questions. Miriana is first and earns 10 euros by saying that there were four chickens in the basket. She's suspicious, as this can't be what the real assignment is. Jan then earns 20 euros for identifying the American flag. Hannah gets 30 euros for Salvadorian. Horace gets 40 euros for Tintin. And Karen earns nothing for saying 15 kilometers an hour rather than miles per hour for the speed question. I think 15 kilometers an hour was the speed of Peter Jan's car going up the driveway. Help me push it, everybody. And he then says that there is a bonus question worth 5,000 euros. If they answer incorrectly, the pots will be set at minus 5,000 euros to begin with. The question is who the other contestant on the bus with them all was. Patrick said that he should have known there'd be a twist, as this is one of the dirtiest games on television. Miriana says she was kept from going to the back of the bus, and this must be why. And Horace says he saw someone in a terrible wig, but thought nothing of it. If only Mariana was willing to get into a fist fight with the person that was blocking her. That's the thing. This is season 11. People are savvy enough now to know that this sort of thing could happen. So the fact that she tried to do it and then was told basically, no, this is going to spoil the rest of the season if we let you do it. So we're just going to push you away and tell you that this isn't part of the challenge. It's a little bit disingenuous. I think the mole should have had to hide a bit more. She should have just come up with some phony emergency why she needed to get past that person and piss off the rest of the people on the bus and just intimidate the, the producer until they moved. So they decide not to answer the question and keep the 100 euros that they earned from the challenge out of 5,150. And PCM then confirms that the person that they were all sat on the bus with was the mole. And people kind of lose their shit. Soundos says her jaw dropped to the floor. That. Is an exaggeration. Her jaw is perfectly intact. I'll warn you now, Sundos is maybe the most popular person of this era of Vidim. Everybody loves Sundos. Sundos is impossible not to love. Yeah, she's incredibly lovable. So we then get the intro, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this might be the first time we actually hear spoken items in the intro. I don't know. I think so. There's a few bits of spoken items, including Trust Nobody, which hasn't even appeared on the season yet. It's one of those weird Vidim trivia questions that Trust Nobody appears in this season, then disappears again for like seven years and then comes back. It comes back in Dominican Republic. Yeah, so it's five years. Yeah. And then Art says that he's excited for a blind date with the mole at some point. 
Then he has his introduction, and he's a TV presenter, including Peking Express, which is absolutely not Amazing Race, unlike what our subtitle said. Sundos says, obviously, they've got no idea where they're going, which is fun. And then on the bus, Patrick is elected as the treasurer, and he's a theatre director and actor. Art really makes fun of Soundos on the bus. He makes fun of her for a lack of comprehension of what Peter Yan was saying about the challenge, and even he even uh, pretends to do a mocking voice of a mentally challenged person when he mocks Soundos. I'm thinking, geez, this isn't the art that I've come to know over the past several years. Oh no, Art's a dickhead this season. Yeah, I was going to say, Art is completely not how you would expect Art to be as a contestant in this season. He's a complete prick. He's probably the villain of the season, being perfectly honest. And yet he comes back, takes over from Peter Yan, and is actually very good at it. I, I will say there's a moment later in the season where Art, just being a jerk about everybody and everything, really pays off. And also, spoilers, you don't know this, Saunders, but that is our banner for the week, because it really made me laugh. <laughs> it's just the heel turn of Art. You don't expect him to be a complete prick to people. Especially Sundos, who's, as we've said, super lovable. So they are then dropped off at a football stadium in the evening, and Art says, like many young boys, he dreamed of being a professional footballer, so this was a dream just to be able to walk on the turf. And Karen says that she was hoping that they wouldn't have to play football. Don't worry, Karen, it's not football. It is not. PTN then tells them they can earn another 2,500 euros for the pots with this challenge, and he gives them six colours and tells them that they have to come up with a communication system in 15 minutes to transfer words and letters. Horace comes up with a decent system. Why didn't they trust Horace? Trust Horace. <laughs> Thank you. I was kind of setting you up for that. But yeah, with all these arguments of Horace coming up with an actually decent system, and then Patrick coming up with a really confusing one. <laughs> and then Anna's really convoluted one. And they go for Patrick's in the end. And it's like, why? Keep it simple, stupid. Just go with the obvious one and go with Horace. Considering it's already an established system. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, Horace actually cracks this challenge pretty quickly. Just nobody trusts him. Even he was shocked with how quickly he cracked this challenge. He said, what? Where did, I, where did I come up with that? I'm not usually that smart. Yeah, the mole can do absolutely nothing if you go with Horace's system. What was Patrick's system that it was splitting the difference of the colors? To me, the letter in the middle, it was extremely complicated that once things start to happen, there was no way they could succeed at this challenge. Just because everyone had to remember all the rules to what was being communicated. Yeah, so I think, if I remember rightly, and it's about a week since I've seen this episode, Horace's system was essentially the first colour just on its own is A, then the first colour and the second colour is B, and the first colour and the third colour is C, and so on. Whereas Patrick's was the first colour is A on its own, then double that was B, triple that was C, and so on. And it just gets confusing. And then, yeah. Anna's was just bonkers because she suggests a convoluted system using pronouns and verbs as well. There's a great facial expression that Art gives when Anna is trying to explain it, as if he's thinking, I will never listen to anything you say under any sort of circumstances after this. <laughs> I think I will end up coming back to this a lot this season, but Art is quite similar to me in that he is completely different personality-wise when he's playing a game. He's lovely outside of anything remotely competitive are you shut up 
if, he, if you put him in a competitive situation like this, he's a complete prick because he just wants to win. And I fully admit that I'm an arsehole when I'm on quiz shows and stuff. That's kind of what I'm cast as. I'm not cast as the the really friendly guy, even though I am. I'm cast as the anti-hero, let's be honest. I'm the guy who chats shit back at the chasers. But yeah, I see a lot of similarities with art in this season and me when I'm playing competitive games, because you just switch it on and go, I don't give a shit about your opinions. I just want to win. So yeah, Horace suggests they split the colours up over the alphabet, and he's taking charge, which I'm sure Anna doesn't appreciate. And then we get Patrick's convoluted idea, which confuses everyone, and Anna's even more convoluted idea using pronouns and verbs, and inexplicably, they go with Patrick's one. PTN then returns and tells them they need to split into four receivers and six senders, who then will be split amongst three pairs. And it's Karen, Patrick, Jan and Hannah as the receivers, and Art and Sundas, Anna and Mariana, and Pepine and Horace as the pairs. And each pair gets an envelope containing two names that they must communicate. Would you have guessed that this was fireworks before the fireworks started? No. (laughs) I don't think anyone expected it to be fireworks even when a briefcase is brought over to them. Ooh, what's this switch? It says red. Release the red puppies! <laughs> yeah, they suggest that it could have been cars driving into the football pitch, which I'm sure the football club who owned that pitch were brilliantly uh, excited about that idea. But yeah, maybe they should have just released different puppies and stuff and just really made it chaotic. Because the fireworks were obviously ridiculous. No one was ever going to win this challenge as soon as they didn't go with Horace's idea. But the scare tactics of the fireworks were just delightful in this. It should have just been goats and then give Jan PTSD. And the goats could have eaten all the grass and saved the football team some time. This is honestly just giving me flashbacks to Hong Kong Philippines because this is a really, really terribly played second challenge. As soon as the fireworks start, it's utter chaos and any slim chance of winning that they might have had just goes completely out the window. It's fun visually, though. That's the thing about being able to film a season in a place like El Salvador is that a lot of things aren't quite as restricted in terms of what you can and can't do. In a lot of countries, more so in North America and Europe, you can't just press a button to unleash fireworks uh, by somebody who has never set off a firework in their entire life. No, the fact of the matter is that this would be a health and safety nightmare in 90% of the world. And this was right in the middle of the capital city. Over the busiest part, which was the soccer stadium. (laughs) This is basically the fingerprint challenge from the Philippine season, but like even harder. And yet, because it's this season and they can make things feel epic even when they don't need to, it just works so well. Yeah, this is a brilliant challenge, even though it's so obviously never going to get won. Would you give the bolt any credit for sabotaging a challenge like this? Yes, because there is a position in this challenge that is much harder to sabotage from, I would say. There is a way to play this challenge on hard mode for them all. Whether they do that or not is a different story, but if we were covering this as a normal season, I would definitely say that one of the roles in this challenge is harder than the other to sabotage from. Yeah, because there's really you because there's really three positions in this challenge. One, you're one of the senders that's pressing the button. Uh, number two, you're in Yan's role where you're the one who shouts out what the colors are, and then the third position would be the people trying to get in a flight to write down what was called out and decode the message. I guess if you're the sender, the way to sabotage it is 
press the wrong button when you know your partner isn't paying attention, Yan could just call up call out an extra color twice by mistake and that would automatically make them fail. And then if you're one of the people that's writing down what's being called out, you can just blame it on the darkness or you just transcribe the wrong color because there's no way Yan's gonna remember the exact sequence of the of the colors that he just called out. Yeah. So as we said, Yan starts listing all the colours while everyone else attempts to decode, and sadly, Karen can't see her paper in the dark. And we get the famous last words of Horace when he says to Pepine that the system's foolproof, and Yan disagrees. And here's a bunch of absolute fools. <laughs> I believe it was Hannah who said that they got a bizarre Czecho-Russian proverb after they decoded everything. It was unpronounceable Russian verb. And in a completely unnecessarily dickish moment from Peter Yan, he says that it was loud and hopefully clear. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't give a shit about these people. I know we said this with Japan, but it's so refreshing to have a host like Peter Yan who doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care at all about people's feelings. And he's just having a blast saying exactly what comes into his head. I love him so much and I'm so happy to get to do an entire season of him. Yeah, and the quintessential P.E.N. moment is in this season as well. So they then have five minutes to pick the correct envelope based on the words that they saw, and they pick quickly, and it is empty, meaning they earn nothing of two and a half thousand euros. And Horace suspects that the mole was amongst the receivers, as that's where it seems to have gone wrong. And then we get our introduction to Sundas, who's a presenter and comedian and vidim icon. And then Mariana is an actress, and Pepine is a cabaret performer and clown. I always want to call him Peppy. We see far more of his circus skills next week, but he is essentially a professional clown as well. I love that they go sort of out of their way to find sort of weird, like notable people for this show. And then you've got Mariana, who, as far as I can tell, has no major credits at all. No. Like, Pepine is, I would say, the weirdest job of anyone we've had in a long while. Well, yeah, it's just a bunch of, when they showed his job, it's a bunch of screaming men jumping out of boxes. Maybe up until Ruben Hine, do you not get as kind of strange a job or off-the-wall a job? Or specifically off-the-wall a job? Obviously, Ruben is just musician officially, but he's a very specific type of musician. And it makes me think back to French Mole in one of my favourite job roles ever, which was Psychic. We had uh, Muriel the, uh, the Voyant, who did a crystal ball and stuff. Like, that's the off-the-wall person you want to be cast on your show. And yes, she could have seen all the sabotages coming. So Peter Yan tells us that a leader hasn't appeared in the group yet, despite Anna's best efforts. And he tells them that they should go and do something about their low pot. They are in the <laughs> National Palace and are going to make a solo journey each. I love how he's like, this is the building where El Salvador declared independence. So a reality TV challenge seems only appropriate. <laughs> We're going to celebrate the, the bicentennial. Do you think before he started the season, PCN knew it was his last one? I don't know. He acts like every season is his last one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think maybe, because I think from memory, they cast Art expecting him to take over. Um, I, I don't know whether they expected him to win or whatever, but I think they cast Art, because he was on a different network. I think they poached him sort of... You know, being like, hey, if it goes well, can you host it next year? And that's basically how they got Art to do the show. And then the 
final challenge of this episode is one that has maybe been repeated on mole seasons as much as Chain Gang has since it aired. Because this is the path of temptation. And by seasons, of course, I mean the Dutch version, which does this every fucking season. But this is the genesis of it. My favourite thing is it's like another four years or something until they do it again. Because I don't think it turns up again until the weird junior season with like the little teenage contestants. And then they do it in Sri Lanka and then it's sort of every season after that. Well, of course, the next version of this is probably uh, Mole Australia 6, sadly. Which, actually, as much as I joke about it, and joke about it obviously being the punishment one if someone spends enough money on Patreon, but actually there's a really interesting backstory to um, to Mole Australia 6 in terms of how completely fucked it was from the get-go. I will say the one good thing about the Australia 6 version of this challenge is they made it sort of possible to work out what order the prizes came in. Uh, this one, I don't think we get that as much. No, and also the Australia one gave us the iconic alley gifts. So, he asks who wants to go first, and Anna volunteers, and she'll be facing the now classic Path of Temptation challenge. She has to walk past boxes with prizes and can only take the items out of one of them. She cannot backtrack, and when she reaches the end, she gets to pick the next person to go and can offer them some advice. The first box is an exemption for episode 5, which she takes, and we also see that 3,000 euros is on offer. There are four baskets with the ochres and two interesting ones, an exemption for you and a friend in episode 3, 500 euros, and an empty basket. She tells the rest of the group that there are two exemptions for episode 3 in the corner, and she would like Hannah to get to that box and pick those up, and she is the next person sent. She finds a basket with four yokers for episode 4, and four for episode 2, before finding the episode 3 exemptions which she does pick up. Horace is then her next choice as he is her mole, and he takes four yokers for episode 2. He finds the basket containing an exemption for this episode, and a question mark, and sends Pepine to get it. Pepine then picks up that box, and tells the rest of them that the last basket contains something, unlike what everyone else has told them. Jan is sent next, and takes the first three yokers that he sees, but then finds a basket with five and regrets his choice. He tells Art of the existence of the five yokers, and asks for one in exchange for the information, and Art takes them. And then we get the lovely undercurrent of Sundos getting very annoyed that she's being left to last in this challenge. She gets rather frustrated at everyone. I love Sundos, but it's quite entertaining. I, I don't think it would have been as entertaining if it was like Papine or Horace in that last position. No, she carries the entertainment on this challenge. Art then says that he wants Patrick to go next and give him a yoker. Patrick tells him that no one picked money, but the yokers have all gone, and Sundos is finally set next. She walks past the 3,000 euros and decides to walk past it again to see what's in the last box, which is, of course, empty, much to Pete Ian's amusement when he comes out and goes, oh, nothing in your box. That's a shame. <laughs> Empty-handed, eh? Or the, that was the only box that was empty. This is the worst deal or no deal episode ever. He's so dickish to Sundos in that challenge. At least he didn't say, yeah, why didn't you take something from one of the other boxes instead of waiting for this empty one? <laughs> Karen is the last person and she picks up 3,000 euros reluctantly. and She says it'll mean nothing if she has to go home tonight. PCN brings them all together and confirms there was 10,000 euros in the boxes, of which 6,000 euros was collected, meaning 6,100 euros of 17,650 was collected in this episode. Who was the one that collected 3,000? Well, Karen definitely did, and I haven't written down who the other one was. It must be Mariana, because she's the only one I've not 
them listed on here. Yeah, must be Mariana. Six thousand is pretty damn good considering you know how many exemptions and jokers there were, and the fact that nobody wanted to pick up the cash at all. Yeah, they were very generous in this challenge with having ten thousand euros on offer, and. To be honest, unless they really screwed it up, they were guaranteed money in this challenge. And, you know, especially because they found out pretty early from Horace that there were jokers there, so everyone just went straight for that. And I, I love that, like, Hannah was basically criticising him for telling her about the jokers, you know, as if there was any chance there was going to be some other sort of prize in there. I'm like, well, we don't have the black exemption yet. This is the only uh, path of temptation without it. But so basically, at this point, they've really only got the cash and the jokers and exemptions to play with. So there's not that much they can really stick in the baskets. I don't think they even add like the, oh, here's a question for the next test. Maybe you should go and work out the answer, but between now and then until next season. Yeah, I seem to remember that the Mole Australia Six version did have questions of the test hidden in it as well. I think so. It's been a while since I've watched because you know taste. And I know we mentioned this with Japan. You obviously weren't there for it, Bindles, but we mentioned this with Japan. It's very efficient, this episode. We basically have no downtime scenes. We go straight yeah. from the Path of Temptation into the test here, and we go straight from the first challenge into the second challenge, and essentially the second challenge straight into the third. Yeah, I, I have about two pages of notes for this episode. The only thing in here that's from one of those, like, that doesn't seem like directly challenge related, is that at one point, Yarn calls somebody Honey Bunny, and I'm like, why? It's, it's day one. Yeah, I do have that note in here. Who does he call Honey Bunny? Uh, it's, it's one of the it's one of the women after the firework challenge. Yeah, Honey Bunny. We had to guess your names. Damn it! Who was he saying that to? That's funny. <laughs> That's funny, Bunny. It was a funny Bunny. Funny Bunny quote. So it's now time for the test. Twenty questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home, except for the mole who can never go home. Pepine has an exemption and a question mark for this evening, and Yan has three yokers. This is a really cool-looking place to do the first test. Sometimes you get random places that feel a bit weird, like that weird like restaurant in the alley in Hong Kong they did, but this one feels like a really good location. It's the National Gallery, I think, if I remember rightly. I guess they have to pick places that are relatively safe. Yeah, I agree. It is a very cool location, though. And they love a museum to do testing as well. They did that a lot in uh, in China as well. Any sort of museum they could find, they tended to chuck them into. So Horace says that it's a mess in his head. He's spreading over three or four people. Yan is nervous. He has the advantage of a few yokers, and he's going to use some of them. And he plays just one of them. Sundas really fears the test. She was sure of some people, but not anymore. Art says he's spreading over three people in the hope that the mole is one of them. He's using two yokers that Yan gave him. Hannah says you often hear that anyone could be the mole. She's crossed everyone off her list apart from Pepine. Great idea in the first test, love. Karen's strategy was to play the odds and she chose the safer options. Anna is doing the test with Pepine as mole and maybe a bit on Patrick. Patrick is on Anna, Pepine, Karen and Sundos. And Miriana says that you'd think it could be an actor, but everyone can lie. PC Anne says that Pepine won't be the first person to leave as he has an exemption. And then everyone apart from Sundos gets the green screen. Do you like this twist, Logan? Out of interest. Uh, yeah, I guess it's probably a bit better than the Daphne twist from the Hong Kong season. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because obviously you go into this season knowing that 
there have to be at least two non-eliminations because it's 11 episodes in the season. So I think it's interesting to use one of them straight away, because obviously they'll have known that it was 11 episodes before they started filming. Use one of them straight away here, but you don't necessarily force it. You allow them the choice. And there's absolutely nothing for Pepine to gain if he says, yeah, eliminate them. But I think it's an interesting dilemma for anyone to have when there's literally nothing else hanging over it. Well, I mean, he did have something to gain from it. It's higher odds of winning. I think it's a lot more interesting than it would have been because it's celebrities who've got reputations to protect. Um, I, I feel like like if it was a civilian season, you just eliminate somebody. But because it's a celebrity who's, you know, oh, I, I want to be, you know, seen to be a good guy. I'm not going to eliminate somebody first. Especially because it's Sundots. I think Art would. 100%. Art is playing to win. He would have said, no, eliminate them. He would type in the name into the computer himself. He's just getting some practice, that's all it is. So, before the execution, Peter Yan asked Pepine his question mark question, which was whether he wanted to use his exemption to protect the entire group. If Sundots' screen is green, he chose the group exemption. If not, she's going home. It is green, and they are all through to episode 2, and Peter Yan, despite badgering from the group, refuses to say who was saved. He just keeps emphasising, one of you. One of you was safe. One of you. It was one of you. I can't remember if they said who it was. I don't think they did. I don't remember if they did. No, I don't think so. I think this is one of those mysteries where they've never actually confirmed who would have gone home. Not even on their website online? No. There's nothing on the Wikipedia, I've just checked. Well, that sucks. If you're doing a twist like that, you have to say who was supposed to go home. Yeah, I just think that's very interesting. I mean, I can have a guess of who it was, and I probably will reveal that guess next episode. But I don't know for certain, and none of us do. That's the fun thing. All we can do is speculate. It was Art. Art was supposed to go home. That would have been very cool, but I doubt it. Right after he spent all episode making fun of Sundos. Yeah. God, imagine how bad this season would have been if Sundos was the first boot. Oh, it would have been awful. Like, we'd still have Karen, but that's about it. Yeah, Karen would be carrying the season on her back. She's literally carrying the season on her back. Well, they would have just brought in another contestant, Windos, to, uh, as a <laughs> robot contestant, into the mix. Now, what would have happened, because the Australian producers were in charge by this point, you would have had intruders midway through the season regardless, just to bump it up to 16 people. Oh, MJ and Kelsey, uh, Chelsea. These 10 contestants in El Salvador, another 10 contestants in Belize. <laughs> <laughs> and then in episode three, you've just got 18 contestants looking for one mole. Two moles. Just one, and then the, and then basically the other group had to answer none of the above for all of the questions on the first test. By episode 16, there's a workable amount of people still left. <laughs> and Peter Yan gets replaced by a guy who's just mildly gropy and huggy all the time. So next time, Sundust is positive, the fourth photo is scary, the annual laser game is played, a radio is broken, Hannah sabotages, and Yan uncovers the mole. Mr. Saunders, what are your suspicions? Let's see, number one, I've got Mariana. Number two is Soundos. Number three is Yan. Number four is Hannah. Number five is Anna. Number six is Patrick. Number seven is Pepine, or Peppy. And number eight is Karen. I will now point out that Logan knows the 
identity of two people who aren't the mole in this season because obviously he knows how art does at the end of the season and he also knows that because horace came back he doesn't make the finals so logan's suspicions will exclude those two throughout their entire stay in the season trust two people yeah logan can be assured of two people not being the mole my odds are greater than ever just out of curiosity there are four hidden clues to the mole in this episode like did you see anything that could have felt like any of them well, there's almost a 50% chance of it being somebody who has the name Anna within their name. <laughs> Trust no Anna. It's the planet of Steve's all over again. What genius in casting thought to have? Okay, we only got 10 people. We get to cast five women. Let's cast Mariana, who probably gets their name shortened to Anna all the time. Let's have Hannah and Anna. I already messed up on, on mixing up Mariana and I think how Anna does. I don't know if it's me or you, Michael, that screwed up the final challenge there as to uh, who picked up what. It's often you. I know the difference. So on the on the suspect train of thought, this does predate suspect list, so I don't have a suspect list from, uh, from the time. But I do obviously know who the mole is. Because this one predates my vid and watching. Yeah, Hong Kong Philippines was your first one? Nah, South Africa. South Africa was my first one. Hong Kong Philippines was the first one that I actually acknowledged because I did well on that one. Mm. South Africa was 2012? 2013? I started watching Vidim as South Africa aired, I think, and I watched Japan at the same time and watched South Africa live and did the suspect list live and then went back to watch all the other ones that I've watched pretty much in that year. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? I'm good. Nope. Very fun premiere. As long as you don't trust Anna. So, thank you for listening to our Vista Mall 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mall in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us at contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky. Bindles is a Grim Recapper, and I'm MJ Harmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. Thank you as always to Marika for the subtitles, and we'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Todd Zins, and thanks for all the goat piss, honey bunny. Oh, this is going to be a thing, isn't it? <laughs>